Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Uh, but it's wonderful to have every one of you here this morning, and uh, it was great to practice some spiritual disciplines with you again. Uh, depending on where you, what your spiritual background is, where you grew up in church, if you grew up outside of church, that, that term might still seem a little foreign. We have a whole bunch of resources available right outside the door there and at the Welcome Center and even in the bulletin. I'll talk more about that in a second if you'd like to know more about these practices. But I'd like to de- demystify them in this series. We're just using them. Rather than explain them over and over again, we're just going to talk about how to use them right now. Uh, and specifically, to identify and overcome the seven deadly sins in our lives. Uh, we start, this is the second day in a series of seven, um, seven sermons. And I hope that you go back and listen to the one on pride from last week if you missed that one. Because they all build on each other. But um, as always, the bulletin insert... On the, on the front here is, is what we're going through, and it's got a lot of scriptures and even some that we don't even put up on the screen at all. The dream is that you go back and you revisit these ideas with you and God. You use the spiritual discipline of Bible study, the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence. You get alone with God and you practice that. That's always one of the dreams we have. But if you look on the back of it, for these seven weeks, instead of the prayer thing uh, being on the back, These seven weeks is a whole list of very practical ideas of ways to use these specific disciplines to accomplish what we're talking about today. I hope that you take some time to do that. And we haven't forgotten prayer. Prayer is one of the most important of those disciplines. It's actually got a two-page one, an extra guide. Those of you who already pray a lot, we're encouraging you to pray even more. But all these things are, they're just practices that actually connect us with God. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. These are not works that we do to impress God or to save ourselves. This is, there's nothing we can do. Only Jesus and his sacrifice makes it possible for us to have freedom from sin and real victory in these areas. And yet, just like that, when you first get married and then you have to spend the rest of your life building that relationship, it's the same way. Or you start with a job, you start a new job, and then you, you have to work. Jesus alone can set us free from the power of sin and death. Jesus alone can call us into the kingdom of God. Give us the ability to have the Holy Spirit inside of us to produce our fruit. But these are daily choices, daily things that we do that make it possible for those things to happen in our lives. And when we talk about the seven deadly sins... Um, these are not so much worse than all the other sins. It's just they're deeper. They're, instead of more just actions, they're more perspectives. They're more of a sinful worldview that just distorts everything and ruins everything. But it's important to remember that all sins counterfeit and attack things that God loves. Whenever we talk about sin, it's important to say that. So let, let's say that with me. All sins counterfeit and attack things God loves. For some reason, we, we all find it really easy to justify our own sins. Well, you know, that's just what I felt like doing today, and God will forgive me. That's, that's not how God looks at it. He, he takes it as a slap in the face, as a spit in his eye. And sin is not okay, ever, with God. It, every single thing, it's not just that he hates what we did wrong, but every single one of them, he knows this. Every single sin is, in one way or another, is a cheap copy of something good that he made, or a direct attack on 
And God loves these other things so much that he absolutely hates these things. And not only that, the sin of envy, I like what Joseph Epstein says. He says, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. And I'm not sure what he meant by that, but it's true. All the other ones, even though they derail our lives and destroy us from the inside out, there's at least an obvious appeal to them. Envy, I don't see it. It just makes us miserable the whole time. Even while we're participating in that sin, it's just a bad, bad idea. And even worse, it it directly counteracts two things God loves so much, and that is kindness and hope. God's kindness is way bigger than what we call kindness. We call kindness something like just being polite or being nice or not being mean. God's kindness is deliberately treating others well in reverence for Christ. Going out of your way to actually do things that are kind out of, as a way of worshiping God and serving others. It's a way of life. And for us, hope is not just this meaningless sense of we should be optimistic. We should always hope for the best. Instead, hope for a Christian is trusting God's vision and God's timing more than our own. We, we trust that God is good. We trust that he's got it under control. And the sin of envy, the, the, the seventh deadly sin version of envy, this deep perspective on life, counteracts both of those because it says, I'm not sure God does have my best interests in mind. I'm not sure God's right about everything. I'm not sure that if I don't backseat drive a little bit, that God's not going to not give me everything I really deserve, or at least everything that I want. Somebody else might get more than I get. Somebody else might get the thing that I want instead of the thing he chooses to give me. He's going to need my help in this. Underneath all of that, underneath whatever other kinds of jealous things that we do, is that perspective that we don't trust God and his goodness. And that's why it's so powerful and why it's so deadly and why it ruins us so badly. But envy, like all sins, it distorts our reality and steals our joy. If you've ever been addicted to something or if you know someone who has struggled with addiction, you know what I'm talking about. When you're addicted to something, it distorts everything else. You're willing to do things. Things make sense to you that would never make sense to anyone else. You're willing to compromise things. You're willing to compromise values that you never would have considered compromising before. You're willing to spend any amount of time or money to have that thing you're addicted to at, at almost any cost. It doesn't make any sense to the people around you, but it makes total sense to you at the time. That's what all of these sins do. They distort reality and they keep us from the good stuff. One of the most powerful and uh, clear, I think, uh, snapshots of what all this looks like is in John chapter 21. And I hope that like all of these passages, but especially this one, that you go back and read that whole chapter at some point today. It's just a beautiful story. It, it, it happens in this really cool spot in history where it was right after Jesus had come back from the dead, but before he had ascended up to heaven. It's between everything that he did to save us and when the church started. So he's just kind of spending some extra time with his disciples and some others. And on this particular morning, they all went fishing. I want you to just picture all the amazing beauty that is happening here. The wonderful goodness of this going on. First of all, these guys thought their lives were over. That Jesus was a fraud. They, they, they spent this three years and this terrible things happened. And then it turns into the resurrection. And life is beyond what they'd ever imagined. It's wonderful. Just that is enough. But also, it's a beautiful thing when a bunch of guys get together and go just hang out. 
isn't it? Or a bunch of women, or just a bunch of people. When fellowship is a wonderful, beautiful thing, and going fishing or whatever it is that you do to relax and just be with your people and hang out and be able to talk, that's a wonderful thing. They're out on a lake, and then while they're doing that, here comes Jesus himself, and he does a miracle that's a cool miracle in the moment, but it also is a callback to when he first called some of them. It's a callback saying, look, I know that all of you guys kind of gave up about a week ago, but I still believe in you. We're going to start over. And he fixes them breakfast. Jesus himself fixes them breakfast on the side of a lake around a campfire and serves it to them. What amazing beauty. Do you see this? Wouldn't that be incredible? And on top of all of that, you've got Peter, who had denied Jesus out loud three times and said, swore that he didn't even know him. And in that moment, Jesus, with all of them present, reinstates Peter three times. He says, you love me. And he makes it clear that he still expects Peter to keep following him and also keep ministering to others. I don't know how it could get any better than that. But in this moment, Peter is envious. In this moment, Peter looks over at the Apostle John and he realizes that he might be getting something he's not getting. This is the only part I'm going to read out loud, but I hope you read the whole chapter later. Peter turned around and saw John. In the text, John identifies himself. He's telling the story and he goes, the Apostle who did this and this and who said this and this and it's this long thing. But it's John. Okay? And the point here is what Peter is doing and what we do that's like this. Peter turned around and saw John and asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. If anybody was getting special treatment here, it was Peter himself. But he's missing it because of this envy, this idea, what if... What if I don't speak up? Jesus is going to do something better for somebody else than what he's doing for me. I might miss out on something that somebody, that, that it might turn out unfair for me if I don't take action. That perspective is where it is. But on the flip side, the other thing that's beautiful in this same story is Jesus is illustrating the kind of godly jealousy that God has. All throughout the scripture. We talked a little bit about this last time. We'll keep coming back to this one. But our jealousy is totally rooted in pride and it's 100% selfish. But God's jealousy is rooted in truth. It's you belong to me and I'm not letting anyone else have you. Anything else, any other idol, any other addiction, any other person, any other anything else that competes for your affection and your loyalty is not okay with me, says God, because you belong to me. It's all based in love. It's based on what's best for all of us. In him and us and the whole kingdom. Totally different thing. And you see this with Jesus. He's saying, look, Peter, I know you denied me. I know that all this stuff went down, but the devil is not getting you. You belong to me. And that's the godly jealousy. Exodus 34, 14 is in the Old Testament where we see this. It says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Now, jealousy and envy is just straight up bad for you. You probably know this, but here's a couple of verses in the Bible that talk about that. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Proverbs 27, anger is cruel and wrath is a flood. But jealousy is even more dangerous. Scary stuff. But envy starts early, doesn't it? 
Usually it starts just about the time, the very first time that any of us see somebody else have something good that we don't have. And how many of this ever happened? Be honest. You were perfectly fine. You were having a really great day. And then you saw someone else with something that you didn't have. And suddenly you got jealous. You know what I'm talking about? You weren't thinking about that thing. It's a really hot day, and you're hot, but you're, you're, you're okay. You're, you're doing okay. You're enjoying the lake or wherever you're at, and everything's great. And then you see somebody with a popsicle, and you go, man, I don't have a popsicle. And day's ruined. You, you follow me? And, and it, there, there's something. It's, it's, it's a common thing. It's, it's a human thing, but it's not okay. And that's kind of the symptom. That's kind of the lowercase e version of envy. That's the thing that we normally think of, of envy and jealousy. It's just this kind of petty, like, oh, that's not fair. But this deeper envy thing, that's what we're really talking about today. And it's this perspective that I'm not sure I really trust God to give me what I really, what's really best for me. You see that in one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible, in my opinion, the rich young ruler in Mark 10. How many have heard this story before? Richard Mueller comes to Jesus and apparently he's been following the rules pretty well. He's a good guy and he's coming to Jesus and, and he's wanting to take it all the way. But Jesus cuts right to the chase and challenges him to give up the very thing where he finds his identity and his self-worth. He challenges him to give up this thing that gives him his position in the community, that this is, this is kind of how, he, how he's been, who he's been up to this point. And Jesus says, why don't you give away all your money to the poor and then come and follow me? And the guy walks away. And in that moment, it doesn't look like what we normally call envy at all. There's no person that he's just jealous of. He's not jealous of the apostles or anything like that. But what he's demonstrating here is that deep down envy that we're talking about. The seven deadly sin version of this. Because here's what he's saying. I don't think that Jesus is going to give me what I want to need as much as my money will. Whatever position, whatever identity I would get by giving it all up to follow Jesus is not going to be as good as what I can provide for myself, what I already have. That, that is the essence of this thing that we call envy, the seven deadly sin version of that. And that's what makes any struggle that we have with money or possessions or anything else. That's what makes it wrong. That's what makes it powerful and wreck our lives. That's why in Hebrews 13 it says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Listen, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Why are we not supposed to love money? Because God has said he'll take care of us. Don't misunderstand me. I think that part of being a good steward, being smart, includes some things like having savings, obviously tithing, and um, maybe having some insurance here and there, especially the ones that it's illegal not to have. Are you with me? Some of these just make sense. But how many, let's be honest, how much of that is necessary and godly stewardship that we do as an act of worship and service to our family? And how much of that is I'm not sure if everything went wrong that God would come through. I better make sure I've got some money. Wherever that line is, that's where it starts to become wrong. Because God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And the moment that we start trusting something other than God, ourselves, our money, anything, that's when it becomes dangerous. Paul wrote to his young friend Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. So true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. 
After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I want to make sure you heard that right. It's one of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in the whole Bible. Notice that it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all evil. How many have heard the other one? Okay. So what it's saying here is not that money itself is wrong and that's where all evil comes from. That's not consistent with anything else in the scripture. That would not be okay. What he's saying is loving money, trusting money more than you love and trust God is the root of a whole bunch of other kinds of evil. He's talking about this seven deadly sin version of envy. That's what we're talking about here. But notice what, as he goes on. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called so easy to slip back in them. So easy to just kind of almost joke about stuff. I, heard, I was flipping channels the other day and uh, on the radio and heard a, song, a country song that made me laugh out loud. I thought it was pretty funny. And yet, kind of hits kind of close to home. It's by a guy named Chris Jansen. That's his, his picture there. It's a song called Buy Me a Boat. Here's some of the lyrics. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil. Misquote. Okay, just make sure you know. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. That's what Jesus said to the, about the rich young fool. So he's on the right track here. Keep going. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it could buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. Yeah, and I know what they say. Money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so. But it could buy me a boat. It's pretty funny, right? And it's like, ha ha, that's, yeah, that, that's cute. That, that's funny. That's neat, yeah. Except that can rob your soul. That's, that's kind of where it starts. Maybe God doesn't want you to have a boat. Maybe God gave all ten of your best friends a boat for the reason that your money is supposed to go somewhere else. I'm just saying, I, 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 the boat isn't the problem, but I hope you do see how easy it is for us to laugh at something that's sinful, to get sucked into it just thinking it's just a funny song. I was literally laughing out loud in the car. But here's what we need to do. We need to use the spiritual disciplines to break free from envy. We've got to flee from it and pursue these other things instead. The answer is not awareness. The answer is not us feeling guilty for at some point feeling envy. The answer is we've got to break free. This week, one of the things that God used to help me with some of, the, some of this was just um, kind of like counting your blessings. But for me, just counting them doesn't make a lot of, doesn't help me much. One, two, three, four, five. That doesn't help me any. But listing them does. I highly recommend this. This is one of the things you can do. Just get, get alone with God. Pray and say, God, show me the stuff that you have given me. Show me the stuff that you provided. Show me the stuff that is what you really have designed for me. 
the stuff that you're doing around me and my church and my family. Show me the stuff that, that is the stuff you've given me. Maybe other people are tempted to be envious of that. Show me. Let, let me see that. Open my eyes. Just start writing stuff down. You'll be amazed. Really gave me so much hope, so much joy to remember those things. That's just one of the many ideas that's on the back of this. And I hope that you use at least one or two of all of those. James 3, it says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Listen, such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. William Penn said, the jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. The reason God hates this is because it torments you. And it robs you from the chance to experience the joy and the wonderful stuff that he does have for you. 1 Peter 2, 1 says, So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. And that leads us to these other two things that God wants us to totally focus on. Would you say this out loud with me? Focus on kindness. And once again, kindness is something that you can't practice alone. You can decide to be kind alone. You can practice many of the spiritual disciplines alone. And you can work through some stuff and you can decide, I'm going to be kind. Now, I'm going to deliberately, intentionally show love and respect to other people. Do things for them out of reverence for Jesus. I choose to do that. But you can't do that alone. You've got to interact with some people. You know what you can practice alone? Envy. And most of the time, that's the only way you can practice it. Envy isolates us. Envy puts everybody else away. But we focus on kindness. One of the best places you could go. If you just read two of all these scriptures I'm giving you this week, I hope it's John 21 and 1 Corinthians 13. And I hope you read the whole chapters and let God speak to you as you do this. Here's one verse from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Find some ways to actually be kind. Don't just try to feel kind. Don't just try to think kind. Do something. And it, there's a lot of practical ideas in these lists that we've provided. There's some all these different places. There's also a wonderful website called um, randomactsofkindness.org. And uh, if you want some ideas, this is something you can do with kids of all ages, little tiny kids, all the way to the oldest people you know. Uh, anybody could do these. They've just got lists and lists of wonderful ideas, wonderful quotes. Most of them, they give credit to the ones that people submitted anonymously. They call them a Ractivist, R-A-K, like random acts of kindness to this. You know, it's their little joke. But there's some good stuff by those people, too. Here's one of them. It says, kindness is going outside of your comfort zone. To let people know that they are important and loved. Kindness is going outside of your comfort zone to let people know that they're important and loved. It means actually doing something. Mahatma Gandhi says, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And once again, kindness is something you do. If you want to get free from envy, you've got to stop the envy, but you've also got to invest 
and he's in kindness and also in hope. Let's say focus on hope. Can you say that with me? Focus on hope. And again, hope is a trust, a deep sense of trust in God. It's knowing that God's goodness, his power, his character is such that he doesn't need us to backseat drive. In fact, if we backseat drive him, it's going to mess things up. That's the essence of hope. It's not so much knowing what he's going to do in every situation. It's not so much even thinking that we're going to like it. It's, it's just trusting him enough to do it. But once again, if you're going to be free from this envy, if you're going to be free from this, the, all the burdens that this seven deadly sin deep idea of envy puts on our lives, you've got to not only reject that, but you've got to go headlong into other stuff. For example, if you wanted to get lean and you wanted to look like this guy, okay? And you realize that part of your daily routine is eating six or seven donuts. A good place to start would probably be not eating so many donuts, right? But do you think that's how this guy looks like that? Not eating donuts? Nope. He probably doesn't eat a lot of donuts. But this guy probably does almost nothing except pursue fitness. He probably drinks tons of water. He probably works out like a mad dog. He eats really good, healthy stuff all the time. And nothing that's not bad. Are you with me on this? This takes a lot of work. You don't get that by just not eating donuts. So if you want to get free from envy, you, you, of course you need to break free from the things that make you feel more envious. Stop reading catalogs. Stop watching HGTV. Whatever it takes. Okay? Stop it. But you also, to really be free, to experience the stuff that envy steals from us, you've got to invest in those. Same thing. Here's another example. Uh, let's say you want to learn how to play the guitar. And you've got a guitar, and you want to learn how to play the guitar, but all you end up doing is watching Netflix movies. Okay? Stop watching the Netflix movies. Good idea, right? But is that going to guarantee that you know how to play the guitar? No. You've got to start taking lessons or at least practice, probably both. You've got to use the time that you were using on watching movies to practice the guitar. And that's how these spiritual disciplines work. Again, without people risking their lives, we wouldn't have freedom. Without Jesus doing what only he could have done, we don't even have a chance at being like Jesus at all. We don't have a chance of being forgiven for our sins, of going to heaven, of actually transforming. But the real work every single day is done by choices we make to reject the sin and to totally focus on the good things that God has for us on the other side. Galatians 5, 24 and 26 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is the rejecting the sin. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There's the pursuing godliness. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Roy T. Bennett says, attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Giving is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever choice you make, makes you choose wisely. Would you say those last two sentences with me? Whatever choice you make, makes you choose wisely. Robert Louis Stevenson said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. He knew what he was talking about. 
The verses right before the ones I just read in Galatians says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is one more thing we've got to keep in mind as we pursue these spiritual disciplines. All they do is make it easier on the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. We make the soil fertile. We take the rocks out. We take the thorns out. We do whatever it takes to make it possible for God to grow what He's going to grow. But only He can grow that. Only the Holy Spirit can produce these things in you. You've got to give Him a chance to do that. And for each one of us, that's going to mean giving up different things and expressing and investing in kindness and hope in different ways. It's going to look a little different for all of us. That's why there's so many options here and why I just encourage you to keep seeking God on your own. Because for this real transformation to happen, it's going to be a little bit different for all of us. But what's going to be the same is this pattern. We reject what is breaking us and tearing us and separating from God and each other. And we embrace and focus on the things that bring healing and joy and make it possible for the Holy Spirit to change us. Have you ever seen the, the Dr. Seuss book called The Lorax? You may have seen that one. really like that book. It's, it's got a lot of good things to say. A lot of love. It's a really obvious environmental message that's great. And then it's got all these other like subtexts of greed and selfishness and danger and family and all kinds of stuff. But at the end, the way it ends is the onceler offers a seed to the young kid who's hearing this story. And he's he's basically telling him, look, if you want your life to turn out differently, if you would like to make the world a better place instead of a worse place, if you would like to have your family all together at the end of your story instead of be alone like me, if you want things to be different for you, you're going to have to make different choices than I have. I destroyed all these trees, but here's the last seed. You can do something different. Here's the line from Dr. Seuss. He says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And that's the truth about these things that we're walking through right now. If you're okay with whatever envy rots in your own soul, okay. But if you care a whole awful lot, there is hope. God is offering you a seed. God is saying it could be different. Whatever he's asking you to do this morning is the very decision that we're asking you to make. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.